Welcome to the First Baptist Church podcast from First Baptist Church in Navasota, Texas. For more information, visit fbcnavasota.org. We're going to try this again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Indeed he is. And I'm grateful that you're here this morning. Not hear a sermon, but celebrate a life that had been changed. We're going to talk about a fellow who absolutely had his life transformed by Jesus. If you've got your Bible, let me invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, we're going to have the words up here on the uh, overhead. It will give you a chance to, to look at those as well. Folks, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. It changes everything. Now, should Christ tarry, every single person that is in this room within the next hundred years will be dead. If God tarries and doesn't come back, that means everyone in this room will taste death. We'll know what it feels like. Those that are left will know what it is like to see someone that they care for slip into eternity. But Jesus proved death isn't the end. Death becomes simply that thing that you and I as living human beings, and again, my friend Harold Reeves shared this with our deacon body. I'll share it again with you. When you die, you don't become an angel, okay? You don't. You don't become an angel. You're better than an angel. You You are a spiritual being that is, oh, I feel a sermon coming on. It's a different sermon than I've gotten here, but I feel, all right, you don't become an angel. You become one that is better than an angel because you've experienced life here. You've experienced real human life, the same type of life Jesus Christ experienced. And the Bible shares that when we close our eyes to this world, death isn't the victor. Resurrection Sunday, this Sunday, is proof of that. This is a good day, and it changes everything. This morning is the eighth day. When Jesus was raised from the dead, and it changed the disciples' life, it changed Mary Magdalene's life, it changed the Apostle Paul's life as well. Paul, you see, was a persecutor of the early Christian church. He was a guy that hunted down Christians with absolute impunity. His job was to not only find them, but to try and destroy them as well. He described himself in Philippians 3.5 as a Jew of the Jews. And that really doesn't work real well. It's more like the way it's written, it says in Greek, I'm the Jewiest Jew there ever was. I am everything that you've ever thought a Jew was. And more. When he writes this, he ends up talking about the fact that there was no one more zealous than him. He sought to protect everything about his religion and described himself by the very word of the ones that Jesus spoke against time and time again. He calls himself a Pharisee. He traveled throughout the ancient Near East searching out those who were Jewish converts. Paul, who was then known as Saul, was ardent in his persecution of Christians. To some degree, he sought to diminish the witness of all Christians, not just Jewish believers. 
And since most of the early converts were Jews, he was a busy man. When he was confronted by Christ on the road to Damascus, he was converted. Like Thomas who doubted, Paul also saw the risen Lord. That's why he's known, by the way, as the Apostle Paul. One of the definitions of an apostle is someone who actually physically saw Jesus with his own eyes. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Paul lived after Jesus' death on the cross. How can that be? Well, if you read Acts chapter 9 and you read verses 1 through 19, it talks about his conversion, how he came to know Jesus. Now, you know the story. He's walking along. He's headed to Damascus. He has just been given a letter from the, from the Jews that are in Jerusalem who, who have said, this is Paul, this, this is Saul, the guy that is coming up to rid all of your synagogues of all of these people that say Jesus was the Messiah. Give him the ability to do that. And he basically is told, I have the ability now to be turned loose against any Christian I find. He's walking along, and the Bible says as he gets near Damascus that all of a sudden Jesus appears to him and speaks to him. And he says this, Why are you persecuting my church? Now, now Saul isn't alone. Okay, There are other people that are with him. There are other men that testified to this later on. They can hear Jesus, but they don't see him. This is a famous painting of that that an artist rendered about it. If you notice in the painting, and I guess you can, you see Paul looking up. The rest of them are all have their eyes turned. The Bible doesn't say they didn't choose to see Jesus. It says they couldn't. But they could hear Him. And they knew what He was saying. Now Paul ends up being blinded because of this. And as he's taken along by someone to Damascus, that's the nearest big city that would have medical advice to go ahead and cure his blindness that has just suddenly come on, he gets there and at the same time God is talking to a fellow named Ananias, not the one that had a wife named Sapphira that ended up getting uh, uh, put down. This is a different guy and he ends up being told by God, there's a fellow by the name of Saul. I'm calling him Paul. There's a fellow like that, and I want you to go to him, and I want you to bless him, and he will receive his sight again. Now, Ananias is, really, Ananias is a Baptist, okay? I think he's the first Baptist that ever was. Here's the reason why. God tells him to do something, and he goes, Now, God, are you sure? Are you sure? He says, you know, God, understand that what I believe, that guy's trying to exterminate. Are you sure this is a good idea, not just for your kingdom glory, but for me? And God assured him it was, and he goes and he blesses Paul, and Paul has his sight restored. This is a fellow who was converted by the risen Christ. You see, seeing the Lord... And hearing his admonition to stop persecuting his church profoundly affected Paul. He, became about, he was about 30 years old when he became the leading advocate for Jesus. He wrote letters to churches, mainly to the people that he once sought to destroy. Now imagine what it must have been like 
for someone so dedicated to destroying something to now become the main voice and advocate. It must have been a shock to many people that heard him. Paul, in fact, was changed by the resurrected Lord. And what the resurrection does to you and me affected Paul in that same way. It takes who we were and gives you and me a promise of what we can be with a God who can beat death. Paul begins to write to many of the new churches that, that spring up all over the Roman Empire. One is in this town called Corinth. It is one that many of, of the many places we know where the church was exactly located. It, matter of fact, in biblical archaeology, there are only two places where we absolutely know there was a church. One of them is in Corinth, and we know where that church is. If you go on the Agora, the main street of Corinth, you will see temples that were to all of the Roman and Greek gods all the way down, and you finally get to this one little kind of a know-nothing building that was there. And that was the place, and we know this because inscribed on some of the plaster in the walls were Christian symbols and scriptures. We know where there was a New Testament church in Corinth. The Apostle Paul wrote to them, and as he wrote to them, he understands that they're surrounded by places and temples to the Dionysian mysteries, to those gods that, that were false gods. It became so popular that it, it had so many new believers that they were void of sound leadership. And Paul is then asked to write them to give them wisdom and counsel. And that is why we read these verses this morning. He says that he wants them to know nothing but Jesus, to focus on that and not all of their differences in church. It's the same message that God has for you and me this resurrection morning. I'm going to invite you to stand together. We're going to read God's Word together. This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. We stand not because we have to, not because it's tradition, but because we stand in the honor of reading God's perfect and holy Word. Read with me. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. May God bless the reading of His Word. Please be seated. <clears throat> you see, the real truth is God changes everything, including you, when the risen Christ is king of your life. For Paul, there's nothing more important. It changed him from being a hunter to the apostle. That means he saw Jesus with his own eyes and it profoundly affected him. In addition to that, to Paul, nothing matters more after he meets Jesus. Nothing matters more. Paul even writes these very words to the Corinthians. Don't be distracted by all of the other things that happened around in church. Jesus is the main thing. 
Now, folks, listen. If you come to church and you enjoy the music, that's great. If you enjoy seeing little boys and girls, and by the way, Bill, here's the deal. You have raised the bar on children's sermons sort of now. When you're giving them Easter eggs, here's one thing. Okay, look. Come here a year from now. Come before a year from now, okay? All right? But a year from now, we are going to have an Easter egg hunt. We're going to do that again. We did that two of the first three years I was here. I loved it. Y'all did it because Caitlin was little, and you thought it'd be cute to see the pastor's daughter go hunt Easter eggs. You know what ended up happening with that? Pastor Clyde and Stacy were walking around with my little girl, and we would see an egg. Okay, there's an egg. And Andy, right over there, would run and get the egg before Caitlin got it. I'm not holding a grudge. I'm not holding a grudge. But my daughter is. So next next Easter, we're going to have an Easter egg hunt after the morning worship service. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to keep all the kids in here. And in this little courtyard out here, we're going to go ahead and put Easter eggs out. And then I'm going to dismiss the church. You can all go out there. You can get your phones ready. We can videotape it. We can enjoy watching them go crazy. You can watch kids that will fu- are future basketball players blocking others out so that they can get the egg. To Paul, all of that stuff didn't matter. Nothing mattered more than telling the story of Jesus. And he starts out by telling it to his home audience, the Jews. He begins to tell them, and God says, hey, I don't want them to be the only ones that come to know me as Messiah. And he began to take the Apostle Paul into places where he began to go in and preach. And one of them, he's standing there, and it's, it's the hill that was the religious hill in Greece. And as he's standing there, he looks over and he sees that there's a little tiny cut-out monument, and it says, to the unknown God. Now, there were all kinds of statuary and all kinds of things around that hill to the different gods that the Romans and the Greeks had. And here it, said, here it was as if the Greeks said, hey, if we've missed one, if there is another God out there and we don't know who it is, we'll put a little monument to him so he's not mad at us. To Paul, nothing mattered more than the story of Jesus, His death on the cross and His resurrection. Nothing mattered more. So He turns to those people that were up on Mars Hill on that day, and He said, I see you have put a marker to the unknown God. I know who that God is. And when He spoke those words, a crowd gathered around Him because there was a hunger in their heart to find out who this unknown God was. And He began to preach Jesus to them. His love that He gave as a demonstration that while we're still sinners, God would send His own Son to die for us. Not only die, but then be raised back to life. The very thing that none of us in this room can do, God did. And He did it for His Son. And listen to me, please hear this. He did it for you too. When you close your eyes and you take your final breath, that's not the end. Death died on this Sunday. The Apostle Paul has to go in and speak about this. 
And because of that, that thing, that main thing, Jesus, you finally have a story worth telling too. Paul, no doubt, could have told about the miraculous conversion experience that he had on the road to Damascus, but he didn't want it to get in the way of Jesus and his story. He puts himself behind Jesus and instead tells a story that is the only story worth telling. Now, what is that story? It is the story that God loves you and has loved you from your creation. It's the story of the death that Christ died for you. It's the story of the resurrection that changes everything for you. The story that you tell is that God makes it irresistible to others. The story you tell becomes irresistible to the ears of others. Like Paul on Mars Hill, where he begins to talk about this unknown God. When you begin to go ahead and share about what God has done in your life, what you've seen Him do, it becomes irresistible to others. Now I'm going to ask you a few questions. This is the participation part. If you don't do this, the sermon goes on for another hour. All right? Here's how you answer. I want you to answer by whispering your answer. Whispering like this. I came to know Jesus because of three guys that prayed for me in high school and one guy that, that said, if you really want to know Jesus, then you can know Him right now. That's whisper. I happen to be on microphone. Everybody understand? Nod your heads. All right. These are the people that don't want to be here another hour. Here it is. Question number one. How did you hear about Jesus? Who told you? You have to keep going, folks. All right. Where were you? All right. When did it happen? You know, I love to hear people and the stories about how they came to know the Lord. No two stories are exactly alike. Some of you found Him through a loving parent or a family member. Some here today heard about Jesus at church. Perhaps a few of you had a friend that shared the change that Jesus had made in their life and you were so intrigued that you said, I want to know about that too. There is an irresistible nature to the story of what Jesus does, His love for you and me. And there is a whole world that is literally dying to hear about Him today. Paul shares the irresistible story of Jesus with the entire Roman world during his lifetime. By the end of his life, Paul has shared Christ on every continent that the Romans controlled. Churches were exploding in growth as people heard that their past could be forgiven and that God, in fact, did love them. All because of today. Not just because of what Jesus did on the cross. The cross was a great sacrifice. But if there was no follow-up to the cross, it is one man dying, a perfect man dying for your sin and mine, but no power over the death that faces every single one of us. That's what makes this morning different from any other. The resurrection is the completion of the cross. The cross buys your freedom. 
the resurrection proves you are free. Got another question for you this morning. How many of you all this morning are native-born Texans? Hold your hands up. Okay. No, don't whoop that. This isn't any... This isn't whoop time, okay? How many of you all are transplants, okay? All right, y'all got here as quick as you could. I understand, all right? This is the day that we celebrate God's victory over death. God who brought us victory over death. This is also the day that in 18 minutes, we as native Texans and, and, as others gathered, celebrate the freedom that was bought at San Jacinto this same day. Why is that linked or important or is it even at all? Folks, I love history. I go in and I, I, I take history apart, not with the idea of saying, let me know more about this, but now that I have become a Christ follower, I can look at history as His story instead of just the past that happened. Sam Houston, as I shared with you two weeks ago, the leader of the Texan army, who at that moment was not a Christian, who rode on horseback and was one of 32 people on the Texas side that were injured or killed. He took a musket ball to his ankle. It shattered his ankle and he was placed underneath an oak tree and that tree later became known as the peace oak tree. Why is that important? Because Houston, who's not a believer, had faced death knowing that his eternity would be hell. And yet, he comes to Christ later on because of the love of a woman who ended up going ahead and sharing Christ with him. If I had asked Sam Houston, who told you about Jesus? He would have said, my wife, who told him again and again and again and lived it out for him so that, that he ended up having a clear picture of what salvation was like, what Jesus did on the cross, and the resurrection that bought his freedom from sin. You Texans have a lot to be thankful for today. But I'm more thankful not for Sam Houston and San Jacinto, but the, for the resurrection that changed everything in Paul's life and can change yours as well today. You see, that story of resurrection has been shared with you. We shared it this morning. Let me ask you a couple of more questions. Has it changed anything in your life? Or is this just another minor holiday in the calendar? Or is it the day that you have proof that death isn't the end because it didn't end Jesus? I want you to, to take a look at this picture. Do you know this man? Somebody who wants to be a history hero this morning, get out of church. Tell me who that is. Benjamin Franklin. Franklin. Used to be on money, okay? 50 cent pieces if you're my age or older. Benjamin Franklin had a faith. His faith was closeted in, in a faith called deism. Deism acknowledges there is a great God, 
but it does not ascribe to that God any name. He is not named as the Father of Jesus Christ. Deism basically says there's something bigger than I am out in the universe. I don't know what it is, and I'm kind of like those Greeks that make the little monument up there to the unnamed God. There is a God, but I don't know who he is, and he doesn't care really a lot about me. Ben Franklin was that man, a man of incredible intelligence. Like Thomas Jefferson, Franklin did not have a faith in Jesus Christ. But he regularly attended the evangelistic services of the preacher that was preaching Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection of that day. That preacher was named George Whitfield. Now, one of Franklin's friends came to him and said, Look, Franklin, why do you even go to these things? You don't follow what this man says. You don't believe in what he believes in. Why do you waste your time by going to a place that doesn't have any impact in your life? Franklin waited until the fellow finished his rant. And then he spoke these words. He said, I don't go because I believe. I go because he believes so well. Paul believed so well that it affected his life for the remainder of his life. Franklin, as far as we know, entered into eternity in a Christless grave. You and I have the exact opportunity that God has placed this morning for you to believe not in just Jesus, but in a Jesus that was crucified, dead, and buried. And the Bible says He was buried to bear your sin, everything that is in your rear view mirror of your life, God has died for. Everything that right now is going on in your life that is not pleasing to God, God died for. Everything that you will ever do in the future days of your life that will somehow be out of God's purpose and will, Jesus died for. And He offers you this morning the proof that if He died for it, He has lived through it. And you can too. It doesn't come by walking an aisle and shaking a preacher's hand. It doesn't come by getting baptized. It comes by you doing business with a God who right now is listening and would say to you, I love you and I died for you. Will you believe in me and let me come into your life and change you? And if your answer is yes to him, (laughs) hang on because it will not be boring. He will change your life like he did the Apostle Paul's. Let's pray together. Father, I am grateful the resurrection changes everything. I don't want anyone in this room to be like Ben Franklin to say, I don't believe, but I 
I come because that person believes so great and so well. Instead, Father, you're speaking to each of our hearts this morning. Your Holy Spirit is here and you are, you are calling us to a faith walk with you. We may not have every answer, but Father, if we simply would be willing to say, God, you come in and you change me and you make me like you, that will be sufficient, Father, for you to do your work and that Jesus who died on the cross will be able to take that sin that I bore and I did and I deserve punishment for. You promised to take that away. This morning, Father, I pray that you will do that in someone's life today. There's somebody here that needs that. I pray that pride and worry that there are other eyes that are watching isn't going to get in the way of the promise of forgiveness. Father, for those that are coming that would say, I want a place to plug my life into. This is a church family that I, I want to go ahead and join. Not because church is important, but because, Lord, instead, you're important. And I want to serve you. And if that's their heart, Father, give them peace to be able to make that public today too. The next few minutes, Father, as we give you this time, may you bless it. May you use it. May you draw men and women and boys and girls to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Stand together, church. It is our tradition that during this time of the service, I will be here at the altar. If God is speaking to you about a decision in your walk and your journey with Jesus, this is that time and place that you can make that public. As, as we're singing together, you step out, you come as God leads.